0: Here at Westridge Church, our sole purpose and desire is to lead people on a life-changing journey to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you for deciding to join us in worship through one of our teachings. May this message assist in your daily walk with Jesus Christ. To find out more about Westridge or to connect with us, check us out at westridge.com. All right. I'm sure that uh, all of you have met people in your lives before that are just really great at asking questions. I mean, it's like, it's like God just gave them a gift. They know how to ask the right question at the right time. I have a, a little boy who lives next door to me. He's five years old. His name's Josh. And I'm going to tell you something. He has been gifted with a gift of just asking questions. When I go outside, he, he, will, he will start with one question. And it doesn't matter what I say. He has a question to follow up with what I just answered him. And it just goes on and on. It, it, and so I've thought, like, there have been moments where I thought, I'm going to give him an answer that he, there's absolutely no way that, that he can ask me a further question. But he does. And, and a, lot of, a lot of times when you get to that point, he'll just go, why? And, I mean, it, it's just, we just keep going on and on, and there have been moments where I'll just stand out there. and this, I love this kid. He's so sweet. And he, I, I actually asked for his parents' permission to tell the story. But he just, he's a gifted question. Uh, uh, asker and so but there's moments where he'll just keep asking 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 and finally I'll go Josh I've got to mow the grass why (laughs) well because it's long why I mean and so finally I'll just start the lawnmower and he's still asking and I'm just like (laughs) or or there have been moments where I I like he just stay he's just asking me questions and I'm just like garage doors going down and I'm just like but he is just one of those amazing kids you can tell is, is, he's got a future being a lawyer or something like that. I don't know, but he's just tremendously gifted. But, you know, many defining moments in life start with a question. I remember back in August of 1991, I was standing with my wife Amy on the Virginia Dare paddle boat dinner cruise in, on Smith Mountain Lake in Manita, Virginia. And I dropped down on one knee, pulled out a ring, and said, will you marry me? And that set the course of my life and her life. And, and then a few years later, in November of 1995, she and I were up late one night, and I just asked her a, a question. I said, what would you think about starting a church? And she said, you mean like move someplace with no people, no money, no building, nothing like that? And I said, doesn't that sound exciting to you? And she's like... Let's. I'm. I'm game. You know, and so that really, obviously, changed the course of our lives. And and she's she's a gamer. But you know, so many monumental moments in our lives, in your lives, just begin with a very simple question. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Scripture, Jesus asks over 150 questions. That was kind of his, his M.O., his mode of operation. If if you asked him a question, oftentimes he'd answer his own question. Uh, he'd answer with a question of his own. He, he was a master at asking just the right question at just the right time. And oftentimes, his question was a defining moment in someone's life. It was, it was a game changer. It, was, it, it set the, the course for someone's future, it, or it, or maybe even set them on a, on, on a course for in a different direction. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, and it's where I would like for you to turn in your Bibles, and if you don't have your Bibles, you can always go to your app on your phone or your your iPad or whatever, and all of the notes are there. But in Matthew chapter 16, we see one of these defining moments unfold right in front of our eyes. And I'm gonna read this to you in Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now here's Jesus. Jesus has spent about two years walking through life, teaching and training his disciples. These guys have have watched Jesus be rejected by his own people, the Jews. They have watched him be verbally attacked by the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, Jesus actually warns them in the beginning of Matthew 16 to be on guard against the false teaching of these religious men. And the tide of opinion at this moment is beginning to shift against Jesus. And the disciples are probably weary. They're, they're, They're probably tired of of dealing with all of the tension and, and controversy surrounding Jesus. And being the great leader that Jesus is, he, he, he recognizes this and he takes his disciples away to a retreat setting. He knows that his team needs to regroup. They need to refocus. They need to recalibrate. He knows that, that they're worn out. They're tired from two years of traveling, two years of nonstop ministry. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, we see Jesus taking his disciples to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is about 25 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Now, this region was under uh, Roman rule. So Caesarea Philippi was one of the Roman capitals, and it was a Roman capital of this particular region. Now, this area was... Beautiful. It was, it was a beautiful mountainous type terrain. I, I want you to imagine escaping into the into the Blue Ridge Mountains with, with Jesus for a few days. I mean, how how incredible would that be? But Caesarea Philippi was also considered pagan territory. This region was full of false gods and, and pagan images. Historians tell us that there would have been. Temples that would have been dedicated to Caesar. There would have been other temp- temples that were dedicated to some of the false gods of the time, Baal, Pan. Um, so all of that was part of the scenario, part of the scenery. So the disciples are sur- surrounded by beauty, but they're also, and they're, they're, al- they're alone with Jesus. They're away from the crowds, but they're also surrounded by this pagan culture, these false gods, these images that were raised up to some of these false gods. And I've actually been to this place uh, before Caesarea Philippi, and and um, and I can I just have this image as I'm talking to you right now of these huge rock formations in this real mountainous, beautiful area, along with these uh, ancient carvings that were dedicated to to these false gods. But I can just picture Jesus sitting there with his disciples, relaxing and, and kind of settling into this beautiful retreat retreat uh, type setting. Now, once there. Jesus begins to ask his disciples some questions, two questions. One set up actually set up the other, and in Matthew sixteen thirteen, he says he asks them this question: "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" In other words, who do others say Jesus is? Now, this was, this was an easy question for the disciples to answer because they were hearing all of the chatter that was going on uh, with the crowds that were. You know, around Jesus all the time. They knew what people were saying behind Jesus' back. One of them, we don't know which one, but one of the disciples spoke up and said, some people say you're John the Baptist. Now, there was uh, a rumor going around that John the Baptist had risen from the dead. And so they thought that since Jesus was preaching repentance like John the Baptist did, that, that maybe Jesus was nothing more than a reincarnation of, of John the Baptist. Um, then they said, some people say that you're Elijah, the, the prophet. He, he was, Elijah was, was mighty in prayer. He, was, uh, he had performed miracles, and Jesus was the same. So some people were saying it was just a, a reappearance of Elijah. Some people say that he was Jeremiah because he spoke boldly, and yet he had been rejected by his generation just like Jeremiah uh, had been rejected. And then someone said, you're just maybe, a lot of people are saying, you're just one of the other prophets. Well, during this time of Jesus' ministry, people didn't quite know what to make of him. Now, here's the thing we need to realize. Not much has changed. If you were to take a camera and to go down into any major city in the United States, even downtown Atlanta, you would get all kinds of answers to this question about who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus And it would be interesting to hear uh, how people would respond. You would hear things like, well, he was a good man. Or he was a great philosopher who had a lot of really great ideas. Or you might hear, Jesus is my, you know, he's my bud. He's my homeboy. You know, he's my homie. You might hear all kinds of stuff about Jesus, you know, being like that. Some people might say, well, Jesus was nothing more than this person that came, that created all these rules because he's, and he's really, and they're still carrying over today to, to just really, suck the fun and the joy out of my life. He's like this cosmic killjoy. Now, if you were to ask maybe a Jehovah's Witness, they would say that Jesus was God's Son, but he was inferior to God. They, they, they actually condemn the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as pagan idolatry. You might ask the Muslims, who make up 23% of our world's population, and they would say that Jesus was not the Son of God, but instead he was a prophet, just like Muhammad. Um, you could ask the Buddhists, who are 6% of our world's population, and they would say that um, they actually have a Jesus in their religion, but he is an ascended master. He's not the son of God. You might ask the Hindus that make up 15% of the world's population. They actually worship over 330 million different gods, and they would say that Jesus was not a Messiah, but he was a man who at some point finally realized his divine nature. You could go to Israel right now or even to an Orthodox Jewish temple and you could ask the Jews, uh, is Jesus the Messiah? And they would say he is not. He's not the man. He's not the Messiah. He's a man who falsely claimed to be their Messiah. Or you could ask people who claim to be Christian. And you could, that's a broad category. And Christian makes up about 31% of the world's population. And, and many people would say, yes, he is the son of God. But, but many believe in order to receive salvation and actually go to heaven, you must work to get there, nullifying the grace that, 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 that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus. They have a completely different idea of how it, the Bible tells us of how we're to respond to God's son. So lots of different answers, lots of different opinions. Unfortunately, so many of them, according to the Bible, are just simply incorrect. So let's go back to this retreat little moment at Caesarea Philippi, if we could. Jesus then, he asks them another question, probably the most important question he could have ever asked them. And he says this in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? In other words, I know what everyone else is saying, and you've told me what some people are saying, but who do you say Jesus is? Now, again, the first question wasn't really that hard because the disciples, they they heard all the talk, but the second one made it very personal. The second answer was the one that Jesus really wanted to know. Two years of eating together, two years of traveling together, two years of doing life together, and finally Jesus... Pulls these guys away so that they're relaxed, so that they can think clearly. They're, they're, they're hopefully not st- completely stressed out. And he says, guys, who do you say that I am? Now, I would say out of all of the questions that Jesus asked in the Bible, I believe it's his greatest and most important question. A.W. Tozier author, says, when it comes, What comes into our minds when we think about Christ is the most important thing about us. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us the mood of the meeting. It really doesn't describe the the facial expressions of the disciples, but Jesus has just now put them on the spot. His his question is straightforward. He is very direct. They've been hanging out with Jesus now as a companion. They know him as a teacher. They know him as a friend. They are, are considered his followers, but as As hard as this may be to believe, it is quite possible that some of them may not have yet formed a clear opinion of who exactly he was to them or what exactly they really truly believed about them. And and you this morning sitting in this auditorium, you might be able to relate to this situation. If Jesus were standing in front of you in the flesh and he asked you, who do you say that, that I am, deep in your heart, you may not have really nailed that question down yet. Honestly, you're not quite 100% sure. Billy Graham was quoted a while back as saying that he believed that the greatest mission field in the world was not the foreign field or the home field, right? the, 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 the United States, but instead the membership roles of the church. You see, Jesus is so easy to like. We like Jesus, but not so easy to love because the, but because the Bible says in order to love him, you have to obey him. Jesus has a lot of fans, lots of admirers. But how many people truly adore him? Because to adore him means that you actually have to submit to him. Now, Jesus knew exactly where his followers' hearts were at this moment. Every guy, including Judas. But he decided after two years of following, two years of seeing miracles, two years of listening to his teachings... Basically, those guys watching every move that he made, watching his life, that it was time for these men to verbally, verbally stand and and communicate where they stood. And guess who speaks up? We all know out of the disciples who's going to speak up. Peter. Peter says this, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now listen, here's what you need to understand about this moment Peter actually took a risk here. Because to call an ordinary man the son of God would have been blasphemy during this time. If the other disciples did not go along with Peter, they could have by Jewish law, they could have stoned him to death. It was blasphemy for an ordinary man to say I am the son of God, but they didn't do that. And many scholars believe that the other disciples either actually believed Peter or they were too afraid to admit that they didn't. But Peter's answer is significant. Peter calls Jesus the Christ. Now, the word Christ appears over uh, 520 times in the New Testament. And here's what it means. It means that Jesus is the anointed Messiah and Savior. Now, some of you may never have really thought before about the words Jesus Christ. You may have thought that maybe Christ was just Jesus's middle name or his last name. Like when he was born, Mary and Joseph said, we got to come up with a middle name for this child. Let's just call him Christ. I mean, that that's not this is this is no middle or last name okay joseph's last name wasn't christ this is the the word christ sets jesus apart from every other person in the world named jesus and i don't know if you know this or not but there are over two hundred forty-two thousand people just in the united states named jesus but listen peter had had the courage in a Pagan setting against the backdrop of a very corrupt culture in front of the rest of his friends to confess that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the living God, God living in the flesh. And I want you to know that his answer was huge. And Peter is actually the first person in Scripture to confess these words out loud You are the Christ, the Son of the living God boom. Now, when, when he said that, he said, listen, Jesus, you're the Son of God, the anointed Messiah and Savior of the world. Now, Peter may have been the first, but there were many, many others that followed after him. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said later to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5, he says, there may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but for us, There is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. You see, since Jesus arrived over 2,000 years ago, there have been many, many different opinions out there about who Jesus really is. But ultimately, it must become personal. It It doesn't matter what the public outside these walls, profess about Jesus. Because what ultimately really matters is what you say about Jesus. Who do you say that Jesus is to you? It's the most important question Jesus has ever asked, and it's the most important question you will ever have to answer. Because the answer to that question defines your life here on this earth, and it determines your destiny in the next life. Years ago, author Josh McDowell made a C.S. Lewis quote pretty popular, and he said this. He said, Really, this whole question comes down to three options. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's truly the Lord. Now, if Jesus were a liar, which is the first option, um, that would mean that Jesus was actually lying when he said that he is equal with God. And he knew in his heart that it wasn't true. And if that were true, Jesus would have been a habitual liar. And so there, wouldn't, there would be no way that we could take any of his teachings seriously. If he were a lunatic, which is the second option, um, that would just mean that Jesus genuinely thought he was God, he, he was, and, and yet he was genuinely mistaken. In this, in this view, he, he, he was really just a mortal man, but he had these delusions of grandeur. He was crazy. The problem here is that people who go around claiming to be God are generally um, put into an institution. They're institutionalized. They're not put on a pedestal to be adored by millions of people. If Jesus was genuinely a lunatic, then that kills the authority of his teaching. You can't take any of this Bible to be literally true, any and none of it. But if he's Lord, which is the third option, and that's exactly who Jesus said he was, then there are many who want to accept Jesus as a good teacher, but they don't want to give him control of their lives. If Jesus is Lord, and he is, then it's time for us to submit to him and to surrender him to him. And I want you to know, this is no easy task because we're fighting against the flesh. We're fighting against a sin nature. We're fighting against this, our selfishness. And yet there's so many people around us, and you might be one of them, that want the benefits of belief in Christ without actually having him be fully in charge of their life. Here's how C.S. Lewis actually put it. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the real foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a God and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option to us, open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus did not leave this option for us. He didn't leave it open for us to take this Opportunity to say, well, I kind of liked his teaching, and but I'm going to leave the rest of it on the table. It's not an option. He basically, in front of all of us, he asks the question, and it's a personal question: Who do you say that I am? Do you actually believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he claimed to be God? Because it's true. He's either he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. And the question is, who do you think he is? Who is Jesus Christ to you? It's important for us, I think, to know what other people around the world, other religions, are actually saying about Jesus. But it is absolutely, it's a necessity necessity to know what you personally believe. You're not going to be held accountable for what your family thinks what your friends think, what nation you come from, but you will, help, you will be held eternally accountable for what you think and what you do about that. Every person in this room, every person, is accountable to the answer to this question. Who do you say that I am? Now here's the great news. Romans chapter 10 not only gives us the answer, but it actually tells us how to respond the Apostle Paul writes this in Romans ten nine. he says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Who do you say that Jesus is to you this morning? I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. the most important question you will ever answer in your life. Who is Jesus to you? To just say he's a good man is not enough. To say he was a great philosopher is not enough. To actually say he was not the son of God is to truly deny him. And yet Jesus made it clear. I'm God's son. I'm the son of man. I am the son of the living God. Peter confessed it with his lips. Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins because we couldn't do it ourselves. He came to make things right between us and God. There was a, The sin was, was there. It's still there for some of you. And it stands between a relationship with you and God the Father. And God had to send a perfect sacrifice to pay for the sins of all of mankind, to pay for your sins. And so when Jesus asked Peter, who, who do you say that I am? When he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, he was saying, you are the Messiah. You're the savior of the world, the anointed one that has come to rescue me from the consequences of my sin. And it's the same for you this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? Many of you in this room have at one point in your lives, you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is the son of God. You have received his free gift of salvation. You have, you have put your faith and trust in him alone to be your savior. you realize that there's nothing you can do, your good works, your background, your beliefs that could actually save you, that could actually provide for forgiveness, could actually make things right between you and God. You know without a shadow of a doubt, sitting here this morning, that it's just, it's Christ alone. It's a gift to you that's been given by grace and you have received it by faith. If you've never made that decision before, And yet the question is in front of you. And you're just now 100% sure that you're ready to make that decision. I want to give you that opportunity. Would you pray with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, at this moment, right now, 100%, you're the Son of God. You're the Christ, the anointed Savior and Messiah. And I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you alone. Lord, the only way I can receive forgiveness of sin is through you and through your death and what you've done for me on the cross. So I put all of my faith in what you did for me on the cross and what you did three days later from coming up out of the dead, Lord, to rise so that I know not only have you defeated, defeated sin, but because of the victory of the grave, Lord, you've defeated sin and you've, you can give me life right now. And I put all my trust and all my faith in you. Save me, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins at this moment. And I receive your free gift of salvation. Listen, if you just prayed that with me, maybe it's the first time you've ever prayed that or maybe you've never really clearly understood exactly what this is all about, but you do now. I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and say, I just prayed that prayer with you, Brian, for the first time. And I just want you to pray for me. I'm not going to have you walk an aisle, but I just want to know you did it. Many in the first service did. If you prayed that, would just slip your hand up so I can see you. Amen. Amen. Many of you.